0: Welcome to BDO in the boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues, including, but not limited to mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top of mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started.
1: I'm Amy Rojic, director of BDO's Center for Governance, and I'm so happy to have the chance to sit down with my colleague, Sarah Thicken, professional practice director of issuer audit methodology and the firm's ICFR leader, about the board's oversight role of internal controls over financial reporting, and some of the drivers of the need for increased scrutiny over ICFR. But first, a bit about Sarah. As a director in our assurance professional practice group, she focuses primarily on public company audit methodology, audit quality, and regulatory matters. Sarah works directly with public company audit engagement teams across the country and across a wide variety of industries to provide guidance and support on technical accounting and audit matters with a focus on internal controls. Specifically, she assists our professionals interpret the PCOB and the AICPA auditing standards as it may relate to their clients' professional excuse me, particular facts and circumstances. She also meets with client management, the audit committees and boards of directors to provide further insight into the regulatory environment and other audit topics in order to help them achieve their business objectives. Sarah, welcome to BDO in the boardroom. Thank you. All right, so we all know that IFRS continues to be an intense focus of regulators as an important component to fostering confidence in a company's financial reporting and ultimately trust in our capital markets. So given that importance, it's an area that board of directors and particularly the audit committee should be focused on as part of their oversight function. So today we're going to share with you some of the insights into the Audit Committee's role in ICFR oversight, including your role in the first year compliance with Section 404 of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act as required. So what are some of the primary benefits of ICFR, Sarah, and why is having appropriate oversight by the Audit Committee so important?
2: Sure. Um, Like you said, Amy, in your opening remarks, ICFR is a very critical element supporting the quality of financial reporting. So if a company's internal controls are designed effectively, meaning they are specific to the entity's unique risks, they should in turn lead to a better financial reporting by management and effective risk management for the company. I always say that if management and the board of directors view ICFR as just a compliance exercise, that's generally all it will be. So you know there's a lot more to gain from having a strong internal control environment that goes beyond just compliance. So that should be a primary focus of those in governance.
1: yeah, no, that's that's a great point. I think a lot of folks get caught up in just thinking of it as a check the box client uh, compliance mentality, when in fact, it's really very important component of the entire risk management function of the business. So Sarah, going a little deeper, what do you view as the audit committee's role in ICFR oversight and planning and specifically for first year compliance with 404A and 404B and maybe clarify what each of those are?
2: Sure. So Section 404 of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act is what requires management to have an internal control environment, and Section 404A requires an annual assessment from management uh, on the effectiveness of internal controls as well as a quarterly certification uh, in the 10Q and the 10K uh, respectively. And then 404B is the element of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act that also requires the independent auditor to issue a separate opinion on the effectiveness of management's internal controls. Um, So the the design and implementation of a a strong internal control environment is really a pivotal step towards a company's growth and and maturity as a public company. And it can be a, a fairly significant undertaking just depending on management's readiness. So, trying to implement controls across all the the business cycles in a single period can definitely be overwhelming, which is why I think it's important for the Audit Committee to encourage that early planning leading up to when management and and ultimately the independent auditor are going to be required to uh, report on the ICFR. So Supporting management in securing the right resources prior to that implementation, whether it be hiring of additional internal resources or perhaps engaging an external consultant, is just one of the ways that the board could really help facilitate a smooth implementation. And uh, additionally, the the audit committee really should be familiar with management's process to identify risks in the entity and what are management's processes and controls to manage those risks. Uh, A key to having an effectively designed internal control environment really starts with understanding the risks within the organization and specifically the financial reporting process. So, for example, where could there be a material error in the financial statements and and what measures has management implemented to mitigate that risk?
1: Got it. Okay. So if you're thinking about some of the, you know, the companies that are in their first year of implementation, maybe you can share with us some of the unique challenges you've seen as companies get up to speed on what they're required to do. Sure, sure. So,
2: you know, as with anything, depending on the size and the complexity of the company, there certainly can be different risks. But I'll I'll share some of the top three, if, if you will, most common challenges just from what I've observed. And so first, a lot of the residual challenges in implementing ICFR stem from not identifying the, the right risks and in turn, not really designing controls that are directly responsive to those, those entity-specific risks. So the board should be particularly focused on areas of the business that are inherently higher risk first, so such as management estimates or revenue recognition, uh, income taxes, uh, accounting for significant or unusual transactions such as a, a business combination, just to name a few. Um, so the, the areas with more complexity do require additional attention to detail just in the design and the precision of the controls to make sure that those risks are being adequately mitigated. Um, one of the other areas that that sometimes gets overlooked is understanding the importance of IT in the company's system of controls. And IT systems are, are critical to how most businesses operate these days. And the respective controls should definitely be at the top of my mind and equally important i sort of view it as sort of the umbrella over many of the organization's business processes so if there are flaws in the controls over it systems and the relevant data that's used in the operation of all the business process controls there really can be a pretty pervasive impact on the effectiveness of the entire internal control environment So I I recommend that management start with a a very thorough evaluation of their IT environment um, and all the IT general controls before you go too much farther in your implementation efforts. Because again, if there are deficiencies, uh, they can be pervasive. So they really need to be addressed head on pretty quickly. And then a a third challenge, a, a final one that I'll touch on relates to just evaluation of control deficiencies particularly when it comes to assessing severity. Um, It's not uncommon for a company going through first year ICFR implementation to have a higher volume of control deficiencies uh, in that initial year. Um, The the severity of a deficiency, though, is, is determined by not just what did happen, meaning any actual consequences of the deficiency, but also what the potential magnitude and and likelihood of an error could be. So by definition, a, a material weakness exists when there's a reasonable possibility that a material misstatement of the company's annual or interim financial statements won't be prevented or detected in a timely manner. So you have to think about the, what could have happened scenario. And that can be very judgmental and, and complex. Um, we did recently publish a mini guide for management that provides a framework and considerations for management when evaluating controlled deficiencies, which can be found on uh, BDO.com. And I think it's a great resource for not only just management, but also the audit committee and, and the board in really understanding how deficiencies should be evaluated and and the impact on the organization.
1: Great, and I I second the the guide and we will make that available as part of our follow-up for this um, podcast. So speaking of control deficiencies, what oversight should the board provide when it comes to monitoring the remediation activities you started to speak to?
2: Right so depending on the severity of any deficiencies the board really should make sure to to gain an understanding of the root cause of the deficiency or you know what broke down and what are management's plans to remediate and then further hold management accountable for those remediation plans the SEC is is very focused these days on an entity's timely remediation to material weaknesses just because these deficiencies can directly impact the quality of the financial reporting and just overall reliability of the financial statements to investors.
1: Got it. Okay. So so could you talk to us then maybe about the importance of some of the transparent communications and some best practices that boards should consider consider adopting to ensure that this process goes as smoothly as possible? Absolutely. Um, the, setting the
2: right tone at at implementation and really leading up to the implementation of ICFR really establishes oversight expectations going forward. Timely, transparent communication just between management, your internal auditors, external auditors, you know, any consultants if they're engaged is very important. And the earlier issues are identified, the sooner management can take remedial action, and then just make sure that there's sufficient time for any remediated controls or processes to operate prior to the annual assessment date. I think setting up a regular cadence of touch points with management and the auditors, you know, even between the more formal quarterly audit committee meetings, can be very effective in maintaining that open dialogue and, and making sure that Management understands you know the the board's involvement and the audit committee's involvement, and that um, you can really hold management accountable as well as the internal auditors and external auditors.
1: Yeah, now, that's a great point. and I, I think a lot of times when we think about some of the required communications that the audit committee is expected to be having with the audit, the um, external auditors, it's an important aspect to really talk about the internal control environment and things that we're noticing as we go through the audit, to your point, on a very timely basis, because the sooner these things can be addressed and identified, the sooner you can start putting effective mitigation plans in place. And I dare say that regulators have pushed back very heavily on organizations who've been experiencing significant deficiencies, material weaknesses who are not evidencing their remediation plans in a timely fashion. So I I think that's a point that should be made very strongly, particularly to the companies that are, you know, working through a lot of these um, deficiencies already, and that need to understand kind of the the urgency, I would say that the regulators are putting on having a very highly effective internal control environment. I agree completely. (laughs) So looking ahead, uh, what are some of the suggestions you have for how boards and audit committees can stay engaged with management and provide ongoing oversight of ICFR after the initial adoption? So, the initial
2: adoption, I mean, ICFR certainly isn't a one-and-done exercise. Um, Oversight and management of ICFR is an ongoing effort and uh, should be at the forefront of the board's mind each period, So, especially as there are changes in the business and the regulatory environment. So, for example, if a company acquires another business, there are unique risks around that purchase accounting or the integration of the new business, um, perhaps changes to existing processes that are going to need to be considered in in a company's internal control environment. And then with the anticipated disclosure requirements around ESG initiatives and cybersecurity, there will undoubtedly be an impact on entities' risks and their processes. And in turn, there'll need to be some enhancements to the control environment. So it, it's certainly an, an ongoing exercise and, and kind of an iterative process. But you know, having those early discussions with management about what's changing in the business or or the economy or the environment and how are they going to respond to those changes is, is important for just allowing sufficient time for management to respond and design and implement controls effectively without that rush to solve mentality.
1: No, that's a great point, and I and I like that you started out with this isn't a one and done exercise. As certainly as we're kind of anticipating significant rulemaking that the SEC has promised, both with respect to cybersecurity that you mentioned, as well as climate change disclosures um, and other aspects of you know the business as risks change, and as your you know business strategy may change in response to whether it's economic pressures or or just transitional business opportunities, I think the board really needs to be in step with management with respect to how does, you know, the controls around reporting and disclosure need to adjust to all of those things. And I think keeping that top of mind and making that a regular agenda, particularly during your audit committee discussions, I think is really a critical step that that boards can can adopt and, and make sure that they're holding management and the auditors accountable for, you know looking at the overall internal control environment and changes that may need to be made. So, Sarah, it was really a pleasure speaking with you today, and I want to thank you for being my guest and to our audience for tuning in to another episode of BDO in the Boardroom. Great. Thanks so much, Amy.
0: Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at BDO.com slash BDO Boardroom, or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit BDO.com slash BDO Knows Governance.